You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Odson Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Perrine, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Friday, late Thursday edition of this preview. The, the podcast schedule kind of got screwed up because of this game being played on a Friday instead of your typical Saturday that's kind of messed everything up with the schedule. But we'll get back on track normally uh, next week uh, when the Ducks host you, when the Ducks go on the road to UCLA. But nonetheless, here we are. We're talking about Oregon at home, 735 kickoff on ESPN against the California Golden Bears. Uh, Ducks are 4-1 and one on this game, guys, coming off a 31-24 overtime loss to Stanford. California, 1-4 and four on the year. They are coming off a 21-6 to six home loss to Washington State. Um, if you're wondering, no Rod Gilmore on this call. It's uh, Beth Moens, Kirk Morrison, and Don Davenport for ESPN. Um, I actually think Beth Moens is a pretty good play caller. So this, this should be a pretty significant upgrade if, if you're watching from home. Um, but nonetheless, it's it's a buy. Oregon's coming off a buy, and it kind of feels like the the second half of the season, guys. And I think that in of itself has kind of created um, maybe a little bit of excitement for this game. Obviously, if they were undefeated, there'd be a ton more. But I think there's a lot of intrigue of how this team responds to Stanford. I don't know how there isn't. I mean, that that was about as bizarre a way to lose a football game. You go yeah. on a bye week, so there's more space to kind of sit and reflect on it. And I think those who aren't on the team and playing for the team are just kind of going like, what's next? What's going to happen with this group? And I'm guessing that those around the program feel the same way of like, okay, this is a big moment to prove ourselves, or it's a moment where, where things don't go very well again. And I think this is a huge week, and I, it's an interesting opponent because Cal's not very good, and it's a home game. And it feels like a game, and Oregon is favored by what almost two scores or two scores. Um, and yet, you, you kind of go like, if they don't play better, this is going to be much more competitive than that. And it might be a game that I don't want to say they lose, because I think we're all expecting they'll win. But if they don't play much better, it, it will be a game that in the fourth quarter is competitive. So um, I, there's a lot for Oregon to, I think, reflect on this week and, and hopefully correct as they go in against. Again, it's not a good Cal team by any measure. It's not even one of the better Cal teams under Wilcox. But it's a team that still, like, aside from the Washington State game, played three pretty good teams close, at least. Nevada and TCU and Washington, those were all one-score games late or, or games that went into overtime. So it's not like this is a Cal team that has gotten blasted by everybody. They got blasted, I guess, by two scores by Washington State this last week. But they're still, be, you know, have maintained a level of uh, competitiveness that I think makes you wary of just, like, what, can Oregon put a team away? Because they haven't been able to do that until the fourth quarter of most of these games, if at all. Yeah, how Oregon comes out of this bye week is exactly what I'm looking for. Um, it was a it was a dramatic and terrible loss to Stanford. And if they had played the next week, I feel like it would have. I feel like Oregon obviously would have came out of the gate swinging. Uh, I feel like they just would have had enough of uh, like a fire or a chip on their shoulder to come out. But with the with the elongated break, you get an extra week to just kind of sit and stew on on the loss to Stanford. Um, from all indications of. of interviews with players and press conferences with coach Cristobal. Um, it seems like they're ready. It seems like they're fired up. I mean, I did say the same exact thing last week. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. what do I actually know? I, I'm, I'm not sure, but 
uh, like Eric said, this is this isn't a great Cal team. Uh, they've had, they've been much better in years prior. Uh, we remember them in 2019, where with, with Chase Carvers, they were undefeated when he started. You know that that those are good teams. This is not that. Um, their defense is not the same. It's a different type of Cal team. Their offense is is a more post style rather than a, a spread offense, and they'll be taking shots downfield. So Oregon secondary, if fans have concerns uh, going into the game, this might be a game where those concerns are heightened or alleviated. But uh, this this should be a game that Oregon can can pull through, um, just based off of how Oregon has played the last few weeks. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a competitive game in the fourth quarter. But I think the goal here for Oregon is to come out of the gate swinging and try to make this a non-competitive game in that fourth quarter. That kind of goes right into the segue of where I was going to take this. Of just what is our confidence level that this is. Um, a game that Oregon should win in a blowout fashion. Like I was talking with somebody, one of my friends, and he was expecting that Oregon's going to kick Cal's ass. And I was like, define kick Cal's ass. Because I don't know if this team right now, in its current construction, is capable of blowing out an opponent where where we get a score like 49 to 17 and Oregon starters are pulled midway through the third quarter. I mean, even against Arizona, a game in which Oregon was a 30-point favorite in that one, it was a five-point Oregon lead in the fourth quarter. And that game got to, what was it, like a 22-point win or or something of that nature. Um, But it was because of a defensive touchdown, a late touchdown by Oregon. Like, I don't have a lot of confidence in this team going out and, and getting that three or four score victory right now, even against lowly one and four California. It's also, it's also a Cal team that you just don't blow out like yeah. point blank. Like this is, I mean, historically Justin Wilcox teams don't get blown out. Oregon hasn't pasted California in like six years. Uh, you look at the series, the last five games out, all of them have been played by three scores or fewer, three of them by 10 points or fewer. The last two meetings, uh, even think about 19, that was a good Oregon team. They only won 17 to seven over a Cal team that was without Garbers. Uh, last year's game, people maybe forget last year, Cal with the, these teams are pretty similar to what they were a year ago, and Cal won the game in Berkeley. Different quarterbacks. I, I will say, I don't know if I think the quarterback situation now is much better than it was a year ago. I think that we were at the, the Cal game was the, was, was the very valley of the Tyler Shuck experience because it was the worst he could play, I think, all season, and his confidence was was really, really low, but like, is Anthony Brown kind of in the same spot? So, I mean, I mean, I, I'm, again, I think there's reason to believe Oregon can win this game and win it somewhat decisively. I'm just skeptical of what like a dominant win looks like with this program right now, because we just haven't seen it against even inferior competition to this. Like, I think everybody would say Cal's better than Arizona. And look, at Matt just brought up the point of like, that was a game that in the fourth quarter was a one score game. So, um, it doesn't mean Oregon can't win in lopsided fashion. Uh, I will make my prediction later, and, and it will be you know more than a, a one-score game. But I, I also think it, it's it's hard for me to sit here and confidently predict week after week this team is going to pace teams, and then they go out and the games are closer than expected, and and then to just continue to like ride the wave of this team is going to dominate when we just haven't really seen it on the field for four quarters. So I, I, this is kind of a show me game. If they come out and, and are really impressive here. I'm not going to be stunned based upon what we've seen from UCLA and Colorado if Oregon wins the last, you know, the final two games of the month of October 
in fairly decisive fashion and goes into November on with a bit of a, you know momentum and looks really good. And, and maybe you start feeling better about talking about them in the college football playoff conversation. But I kind of want to see it this week. And I think it's pretty pivotal that they come out and, and win this game, obviously. Um, but from a just confidence in, in this team of, you know, going forward, if they can win in semi fat you know, decisive fashion, that helps a lot, I think. Yeah, I'm, 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 basically, I'm going to like echo Eric's sentiment here. Uh, what does a blowout win mean with Oregon this year? Uh, like, again, even against Stony Brook, it was only 17 to 7 and a half, which right. I don't count as a blowout. Um, they've just, yeah, they've faced inferior competition multiple times this year and have, haven't been able to put away anybody, which has been a huge decider in, in the lack of, of young players that we've seen play. So, I mean, specifically, it's like, you know, people are questioning as to why, you know, Ty Thompson isn't getting the job. And it's like, well, we haven't seen him play. And that's partially because Oregon can't blow out anybody to get him in the game. Um, but this, yeah, I, I don't, we'll get to the predictions later again, but I'm, I'm with you, Eric. It'll be more than a one score game. And I do expect Oregon to win in, in a good dominant fashion. But then again, it does that mean that it's a 50 point explosion on offense like probably not no so like I'd, i would be absolutely in awe if oregon were to put up more than know, 45 again at some point during the season um in its current construction right right exactly and yeah so this can be a dominant win you can still win dominantly not scoring 50 points 55 points but and this may be one of them but again i it is hard. It's it's been hard for me to to understand that if Oregon's going to win dominantly, it's not going to be like a forty point drubbing. It's going to be a closer game than most people expect. It's it, the confidence level should be high to ultimately answer Matt's Matt's question on Oregon's ability to win this game. But a dominant win and a blowout win are two different things. And I think a dominant win can happen, but a blowout win with how the offense is constructed might not be the case for the for this team in general. What looks like a dominant win? Because for me, I think kind of goes back to what I was talking about um, a couple weeks ago against an Arizona, um, a Fresno State, a Stony Brook, is it's winning on third down when you have the football, so converting third downs on a consistent basis. I mean, I think Oregon's defense of third down defense is horrific. It's pretty and bad seeing improvements there um not allowing california to put together long drives like if they're gonna uh, if, if they're going to score i you know i don't want to see them consistently get six or seven yards and drive the entire length of the football field i know that's kind of the bend but don't break defense but at some point you get a turnover or uh you you force a, a turnover on downs or they attempt a field goal and they miss um that's the type of you know, I guess defense I'd want to see is don't give up long drives where they chew up the clock short in the game. Um, be efficient. Like uh, I, I could walk away seeing a 38 to, to seven win and saying like, yeah, they, they kicked Cal's ass. But I don't think, I, I think fans are expecting this Oregon team to beat teams like 66 to, to 17. And I just don't think that's how this team is constructed. Even when they're operating at peak efficiency with, you know, full go at every position. Like that's just not who they are on a consistent basis. And that needs to change. 
um, from a fan perspective, uh, looking at the quarterback position entirely, like Cristobal has said during the bye week, and he really wasn't even asked much about it this week, but Anthony Brown is his guy and he's got full confidence. He says that he gives Oregon the best chance to win at that position. Do we see though, should we see a package for Ty Thompson? Should we see a quarterback change knowing that we don't even know yet if Joe Moorhead's back on the sidelines coaching in this football game yet? Um, what, what do we make of the quarterback position and, is there anything that can happen this week from Anthony Brown and that position that gives you confidence moving forward that that's the guy? Or is it straight up you you guys don't think he can prove much in one game to, to kind of give you confidence he'll be fine the rest of the way? I think the last thing I want to see is some sort of split in terms of playing time. We saw that. I think that is that never works. And yeah. for my money, that would be a mistake. I mean, I think back, we've got a very recent example of – Last year, Anthony Brown, Tyler Shuck of them kind of going like, okay, Anthony Brown is our goal line red zone quarterback. That didn't, I mean, and then everybody got really excited because he did pretty well in the red zone a few times and they decided to open it up and give him opportunities between the other 20s and, and look what happened. And I think that Fiesta Bowl was an example of how catastrophic that can be where just no quarterback really got comfortable. He tried to go with Brown and then kind of decided midway through the third quarter, okay, now Tyler's the quarterback. Like, it, 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 you, you just trust your convictions, I think. Just pick one of the guys and go with them. So, um, I mean, you, I think those listening know where I'm at. I mean, pretty clearly. I mean, I haven't, and nothing has changed. Nothing has changed in a bye week. I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe Anthony Brown is, is suddenly, you know, a light swip you know, flip has been switched and he's going to be significantly better. He is a six-year starting quarterback. He's got a ton of experience and this is what he is. I just don't see there's much growth potential. So, um, no, I mean, like if he plays better, that would give me, I mean, I, I feel better about things. I don't think the long-term, my long-term perception or long-term kind of assessment of things changes at all. Um, I mean, I guess if he puts together, the, I mean, I, I, if he puts together three great games to finish October, like, I mean, I, I need, it's not good. It's got to have to be more than one game. I mean, he could play really well against Cal and I'd be like, okay, that's an, a, that's a nice step in the right direction. But what's he going to do against UCLA and Colorado? And I think if we come away from the month feeling better after the last three games, then okay, that's fantastic. But I, I, I just think it, it's, it's a lot for me to expect him to really take a big step because he's played five games this season and his worst game was the fifth game. So, um, I mean, maybe, but I think that's probably unlikely to happen. So, Again, I, if you make a quarterback change, go all in with it. Is my point to like if you want if it, I wouldn't I don't think it's very productive or constructive for anybody to just go out and say okay we're going to switch this up by a series or a package by package perspective. Either make the make the switch or don't. And I think that comes on the coaching staff. And if it was me, I'd make the switch. But pretty clearly, at least what Mario said publicly, that's not something that they're really entertaining right now, or it's not something that they're going to do immediately. At least, I'm with you on the. On, on the quarterback switching it it's either you do or you don't yeah so run a package quarterbacks uh i've never liked it i've never really thought it it could work uh i feel like it just needs to be one person or the other and to switch those like mid-game how they did uh, like like eric mentioned a couple times last year with anthony brown and tyler shuck i just again i just don't think that works you know, i've been critical of, of oregon's offensive line rotations just like constantly changing groups of five and that and it seems it seems to have worked for the offensive line, but even still, like I don't like it when it's not just a constant 
where you can come in basically every week and realize that, okay, this is going to be the starting group or this is you're the starter, something like that. Um, I, I don't know what Anthony Brown would have to do. I've, I, I have not changed my stance either. I've been on this the same wavelength for the last couple of weeks now. Um, I'm not sure what he would have to do to, or in order to, to make me feel confident in going forward. Uh, like Eric said, like obviously it would have to be way more than just one game. It would have yeah. to be it probably until the end of the month. And really, honestly, UCLA would, would, if he has a very strong performance against UCLA, I think that would mean more than anything else, um, especially over Cal, because I don't, Cal's secondary isn't that great this year. Um, he just has to, he just has to play better at the end of the day. It just has to be better reads, has to be better decision-making, better throws. It's, it's unfortunate that this is where uh, the, the quarterback position is for Oregon right now, but that is, that is where they are. And, you know, good teams make adjustments off of uh, what, what they are limited to and what they cannot do and try not to try not to have the other team exploit that. So during the bye week, we'll see if Oregon has done anything to uh, to eliminate some of those imperfections in Brown's game and try to get him to be on a, on a different page than he was in the first five games of the year. Now. At running back, C.J. Verdell is out. Travis Dye will probably assume the bulk of the carries. And they were they were pretty split, um, these two guys, before Verdell's injury um, in terms of workload. Verdell had 78 carries, just 18 more than Travis Dye did. You know, Verdell had 406 yards rushing. Travis Dye had 382. Um, they were third and fourth. They are third and fourth in yards per game rushing this season in the Pac-12. In total yardage, Verdell was sixth in the Pac-12, and Travis Dye is seventh. And the reason why that they're down a little bit is because the five guys ahead of them have played six games, and Oregon has played just five. Um, I'm excited to see Travis Dye and to watch him in this opportunity because he's never been the un- – Equivocal number one guy. Like he has always kind of been the the Robin to CJ Verdell's Batman, in my perspective. Um, and I understand why. And I think fans have maybe skewed opinions of him because he doesn't wear gloves, because he's had fumble <laughs> issues in in his freshman or sophomore seasons. But his junior year too. I mean, he, yeah, he, he, against Cal. I mean, the the big one is Cal. Cal, last year. yeah, that was the big one. Um, but look at his numbers this year. Go watch him this season and go watch that Stanford game. Yeah. And that dude balled out. And I'm excited because I don't know. Like, can he consistently tote the rock for 25 total touches a game? Or is 20 kind of the max? Or is 18 kind of the max? How does Travis Dye perform? And what type of a role will he have? Do they just – lean on him for everything or will one of the freshman running backs pop up i think one of the freshman running backs will they're gonna play you know yes. that's pretty yes. clear um I, and, and I, think, I don't think i don't think die is gonna get like 40 touches i'm not i'm not expecting sure that. sure no i mean i think i mean it will be interesting to see what the workload looks like right i mean because it was like you said i mean it wasn't quite an even split it was like maybe what 60 40 for verdell and especially in crucial situations i know he Die finished like 18 shy of where Verdell was, but 
Verdell also missed the entire fourth quarter in that game. And I think Die probably had eight or nine carries there. So like it was like Verdell was who they liked more, but it wasn't by a huge margin. Um, going forward, like what's is, is it going to continue to be a 60-40 split? Will it be a 75-25 split? I don't know. And, and I think the other part, and we've talked about this in the show, nothing has changed. So we're, we're still going to be in the same spot is who is that other guy? Is it, is it a combination of Trey Benson, Byron Cardwell, Seven McGee, or, or does one of those guys emerge uh, and, and really fill in? you know, above the others. So um, I don't have answers there. I mean, I think that's one of the things that makes this weekend kind of interesting and exciting is to see offensively, A, what like what Matt said, what can Travis Dye do in, in, a, in a larger role? And then B, who else is out there playing a lot of snaps and how do they perform? Um, do they, I mean, do, do these first couple of games, if they have an opportunity to play multiple guys, which, which they will, do they do that? Do they rotate through a couple of them and, and give them each maybe a series or two? I don't know. Um, obviously, I feel better about doing that with a running back than I do a quarterback, but um it'll be interesting to see how they use those guys and then what is the outcome of like let's say one of them performs really really well does it become that player is the guy going forward or do they continue to rotate throughout the season i think these are things we just don't know right now um and and i think we'll have a better idea of after this week but honestly we might not have a real clear indication of like how they're going to rotate these backs until you get into like i don't know late october maybe early november Um, but i'm with you matt i'm excited to see how this all shakes out i'm with both y'all i'm very excited to see how it shakes out I do think that Oregon, like for the for the snap count load for Travis Dye, I don't think that they can let him go like seventy five percent of all the carries. I don't know if he's physically built to do that. Uh, I think he'll easily handle a majority of the carries. But you saw against Stanford in that final drive where Dye was basically <laughs> taking all the carries. <laughs> Had I don't know probably eight or nine carries on one drive. Yeah, and yeah, he was gassed by the end of it. He came in on a on a very critical third down conversion and got it, um, but he was gassed. And they went to Byron Cardwell first off the pine. Uh, right now on the depth chart, Trey Benson is listed as the second running back um, with a bunch of oars for Byron Cardwell and Seven McGee. Um, yeah, they need to figure out a rotational change right now with that group. And I, Cal's a good team to do it against. Uh, the, the rush defense isn't great. Um, I think this is the game to really figure that out because next week is, is against UCLA and that's going to be a tough competition and, and Colorado's defense has been stingy all year long. So if there's a, if there, if there is a week to have this problem and to figure out who the running back is going to be behind Travis Dye, it is this week to do it. Um, you know, I've been try, kind of riding the Trey Benson hype train all year. Uh, I think he'll finally get a chance to have more than I think he has four carries on the year. I think he'll probably double that by the time the game ends. Um, hope so. I, I certainly hope so too. Maybe Travis Dye has sixty-five carries. Who knows? Wow, that would be, <laughs> that would be a game. <laughs> that would that would be yeah. That would probably that's got that's got to be a school record, folks. <laughs> they would just run the ball. So we'll see. All right, let's get into. I don't think we need to go too much into injuries because Bennett Williams out for the year, CJ Verdell out for the year. Basically everybody else that's not out for the year is expected back. Um, that's that plays meaningful minutes uh, on this team. KT is out for the first half because of a targeting call. That was borderline crazy against Stanford two weeks ago. There you go. You're up to speed. Um, Let's move into some of our predictions here for this football game. Um, offensive player, I'll start first. Um, I'm interested to see. I, I kind of I talked about it with running back. 
and I agree with all three, all three, all two of you that um, we'll see freshmen and we'll see multiple guys. I think, unlike Jared, I think Brian Cardwell will kind of be the one that maybe gets the most run on the field outside of Travis Dye. Um, I think he's going to get a lot of the running that comes when Dye needs a rest. And he's going to finish this game with 50 yards of total offense. So he might maybe catch one or two swing passes or maybe a screen or whatnot. But he's going to finish with 50 yards or more of total offense, and he's going to have one score. I think uh, it's going to come in like a goal line situation. Dye will get the first crack, but if he doesn't get it in, they'll probably put a bigger back end, kind of vulture style like uh, Cyrus Abilakio the last couple of seasons. I think Byron Cardwell finishes with 50 yards of total offense and one touchdown. I am also going a running back here um, because what am I going to predict from a passing game stuff? Really? (laughs) I mean, I mean, like it just feels silly. And I will note, like statistically, Cal is pretty good against the run. They're fourth in the Pac-12. They're like, I think dead last or 11th against the pass. So like this would be the week to be on like the something big for Anthony Brown train. But I think we all kind of were left wanting more last week when we (laughs) predicted big game for Anthony Brown. Or you guys did. I predicted a big game for receivers, so like the passing game, that didn't take place. So I'm really skeptical of that. I'm going Travis Dye to rush for his uh, second greatest number of yards in a game. Um, he doesn't have a ton of huge games. I mean, he had the – and I didn't pick biggest because he ran for 199 yards and a couple of scores against Oregon State back in 18. I've got him running for more than 115 yards, which was the second total, and that was actually coincidentally against Cal in 2018. So – um, 115 or more yards for Travis Dye. I think he has a good day. And again, I think he's ready to step into a bigger role. I am going with the passing attack. You silly, you silly man. What are you doing? What are you doing? I bet the chips in last week, lost it all, and here I am again at the tables. What are you doing? Uh, I have I have Johnny Johnson with more than five catches. Okay. First time. Wow. And uh more than five catches and a touchdown. I I don't know. Very I think bold. This is the week. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think it is. I thought that last week. I'm thinking it again this week. I'm, I might be going crazy. It sounds like it. We'll see. If it hits, I won't be going crazy. All right. I, I, I have to look at this now. Um, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing, I'm Jared? At his game log. He's not had five this season. No. Uh, mm-hmm. Five catches. The last time he had five catches was against Oregon State last season, five for 50. So he had one, one in last year, and the year before that, he had, um, he had a bunch. He had a good year in He had a bunch year. there, yeah. So that's that is very bold, sir. And I will tip my cap to you in the press box if that if that hits. Um, it's not it's not bold because Johnny Johnson is bad. It's because it's bold no, because no, we, just, all, we, we yeah. just rewatched the rewatch of, of Anthony Brown playing quarterback, and he's not good. And it just feels yeah. ridiculous <laughs> to think he'll do that. But okay, we'll do yes. it. We'll go, go, Jared. I love it. That, that's. I mean, I mean, We've been on this on this horse for a while. That Oregon has <laughs> too much talent to, to be wasting away uh, with your leading receiver having like 160 yards of total offense uh, this season um, through through five games. That's that's not good enough. No, um, and it's quarterback related, not receiver related. Uh, offensive stat. Uh, I think Oregon is going to have a bad game offensively, and it's going to be ugly. And they will score in part because their defense is so good. And so I think they're currently averaging 420 yards of total offense this season. 
their average per play is 6.02 yards per play. I think they're below both of those against California. I, I do not expect um, an explosive team, a, a team that just lights up the scoreboard, and they are going to win this game because their defense puts them in good positions. Yeah, I, I was with you, man. I was trying – when I was doing my Scopaldama's predictions, I was trying to find, like, what's the – what what can Oregon exploit here? And I just don't have a lot of confidence in in the offense doing a lot of moving the football. Where I landed was I think Cal is one of the worst teams in the conference, which is surprising, by the way, enforcing turnovers. Because you think about that 2018-19 teams, I think the 2018 team might have like been one of the top teams nationally in enforcing turnovers for Cal. They are not that way this year. Um, Oregon, on the other hand, is I think tied for first nationally. I don't think I know. Tied for first nationally in protecting the football. So I'm predicting Oregon does not turn the ball over in this game. Um, if you go based on turnover margin, Oregon is 4-0 when they win the turnover battle. And they were, I think, 12-1 and in those games, or 13-1 and in those games, and then 0-1 when they lose it, which was obviously against Stanford when they lost that one. 1-0 on Anthony Brown's first interception of the season. I guess this is me putting a little faith in Anthony. It's mostly just me putting a faith in the offense to not mess it up too much, because I think that's ultimately kind of a key in this one. Um, so no turnovers for this Oregon offense against Cal. Uh, I have Oregon going over their their team yard, average yardage. Um, I have them around 500, I have 500 plus yardage. I think that the week off and is just going to help from an execution perspective. Um, we'll see if Coach Moorhead is is on the field, not in the booth, never in the booth. If he's on the field to be the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach against Cal. Um, on the rewatch, I did really like Jim Mastro's play calling. I really didn't see that much of a drop off. Um, they had a lot of well, well run or well called plays, just not executed. Um, I don't know. I just feel like the, this week off. I feel like it's just going to help the team's offense more than more than we could anticipate. I feel like they have clearly had a lot of offensive issues going on. Uh, and I feel like in, in the week off, they've like that has to have been a major coaching point to right. just just pure execution base too, because their their play calling has been great all year long. It's just the execution that they needed to work on. And now they've had basically two weeks leading up to Cal, and I think this is going to be a game where they can exploit that. Jared, very high on the Cal offense. I really hope you're right. Um, because I'd like to see an entertaining offense this this week. Um, I really hope you're right with these two picks because that would be a really good sign for this offense. Um, defense, defensive player stat, Bennett Williams is out in this football game, so he cannot make any crazy turnovers or awesome solo tackles. But Jamal Hill is in, and I think he's going to step in and – there will be very little drop off between Bennett Williams and Jamal Hill, especially with Jamal now getting a full game of basically starter reps under his belt. He's kind of worked his way back into shape. Um, the rust is off. I think Jamal Hill is going to have a, a big game for Oregon. So seven or more total tackles, and he's going to have some kind of turnover opportunity that could be, a forced fumble that's not recovered by Oregon, but the ball will hit, hit the ground, a fumble recovery or an interception. Um, I just think he's going to he's going to have a big game in that star position and is, is going to be someone that 
people will talk about as, hey, he he was something else out there last night. He'll actually led the team in tackles against Stanford with eight. Um, part of that was he was really bad in coverage and had to make some tackles. But hopefully yeah. that that part needs to improve, by the way, because I think in space he was fantastic in like run coverage. But boy, like that, that final drive, they just went at him down the field, and uh, you know there was a lot of penalties. But the issues in, in part were just he couldn't could defend a slant route. Um, mine is I think the boldest of my my predictions on the scope oh. of Thomas column this week is Kayvon Thibodeau two sacks in the second half. Um, mm. only 30, only 30 minutes to get it done. Um, I think by, you know, I think Oregon will be in control of this game going into the second half. That's leading into kind of what my prediction will be. And I think because of that, you'll see Chase Garber's forced to kind of unleash and throw the ball around a little bit more. Um, the Cal has been more aggressive throwing the football. I think there will be more opportunities to get to him because of that. Will Craig, their starting left tackle, I think is questionable for this game. That gives me some uh, optimism that, Oregon can get to the quarterback a little better. Cal's like middle of the road um, in, in protecting the passer, which by the way, this is like a slight tangent. Cal is like sixth place or seventh place in every single offensive statistic all the way down. Like, aside from scoring offense, it's really strange. It's like sixth, 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 seventh, sixth, 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 seventh, and then 11th in scoring offense. Um, I think ninth in red zone efficiency too. So like th that's probably part of the issue. They just have a hard time when they get down there, but um, I think I think Oregon gets to the quarterback a little more than expected, and I think in the second half in particular, KT gets home twice um, for what will be his best game of the season, even though it's only in two quarters. I have another edge rusher. I have Braden Swinson getting at least one. In, uh, I'll take the I'll take the over on four and a half tackles and the over on 0.5 sacks. Uh, I okay. Swinson hasn't played in a long time. Uh, I feel like he's going to be. Not as important as KT, but it's going to be as it's going to be close because he's clearly their second best edge rusher. Uh, like you said, with with Craig on on Cal, it's being questionable as their starting left tackle. That's going to be a hindrance to Cal. I think Swinson would would perform well uh, even if Craig played, uh, and especially in the second half when you have KT and Swinson rushing the passer. I think that's going to be a it's going to be really fun to watch. Oregon's defense is, at least in the front seven, is going to be as healthy as they can be, you know, barring all the injuries to the linebackers. But you know, it's going to be a it's going to be a much better defensive front. I mean, we heard Brandon Dorless talk about it that it's just going to be different on Friday, and I think this is going to be Swinson's day to perform. All right, team defensive stat. Um, I I struggled with this because. Eric brought up a good point. Like Cal is not really good in any one category um, offensively. Um, they're decent throwing the football at times. Um, they've had some success at times running the football, but I don't think they're like elite in any one thing. Um, and I, at the same time, like I look at this Oregon defense and I see individually a lot of talent, but collectively – they haven't played like a, a dominant performance all from you know start to finish of a game. Now they were terrific in that second half until the final drive against Stanford. Um, they were good against Arizona in the second half. So I, I I do think the one thing that they are really good at is creating turnovers, and I think we see three of them by Cal, which feels to me like a lot because they've only given the way the ball away six times all year. Um, but I don't know if they've played a defense maybe as opportunistic as Oregon's 
uh, all area. So I, I'm siding with the defense kind of bending, but never really breaking and, and having some back-breaking turnovers uh, for Cal's offense and finishing with three. This is going to lead into my score prediction here because I'm going to give you what I think Cal's score will be. Um, I, I Cal averages offensively 24 points um, per game, which is not great. And Oregon's defense allows about 21 points per game. I think both those numbers wind up being a little bit below what this ends up being, or I should say above what the, this ends up being. I, I think Oregon's defense outperforms that number. I think Cal's offense underperforms and doesn't reach that number. Um, I'm saying seven points below the season average for Cal's offense. So I'm giving Cal 17 or fewer points in this game. I'm with Matt. I have three total turnovers for Oregon's defense, and I think they hold Garbers to under 260 yards through the air. Uh, I kind of feel like this is going to be revenge of Tim DeRuiter. Uh, <laughs> he's, he hasn't really talked about it. Uh, he's been asked a couple of times in his press conferences to talk about his experiences at Cal, and he kind of has beaten around the bush. I think that's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Um, and he was great while he was at Cal, and I think this is going to be just one of those games where he reminds them of you know who they let go. So I have three total turnovers for Oregon's team defense and holding garbage under 260 yards passing. All right, now let's get into this score predictions. Um, I don't have a lot of confidence that Oregon's offense will hit their scoring average this season, uh, which is at home, uh, it's 40 points per game this season. Um, I, I don't think they're going to get there. They averaged 35.8 points per game. Um, I, I They will get over that for the season total, but it's it's going to be a, an ugly offensive performance that if you didn't watch the game, you'll think was a lot better than it really was. And so I think Oregon finishes this one with a win. They cover the spread. I don't feel confident saying that at all. You know what? Screw it. You know, I, I don't think they're going to cover. Um, what's, I, the I, what's the spread, Matt? Sorry, what is it? The spread is 14. Okay. I think they're going to push. Uh, it, it, it's it's gonna the most be, Matt prediction ever. The push. <laughs> I love the push. It's going to be 34 to 20. I, I, I don't think they cover. And I, I think they score more than 34 points. But I don't have confidence in this defense holding an opponent to under 20 right now like they, they consistently give up third down conversions they're not going to have kt uh in the first half they, they struggle with a pass rush when kt's not playing um they have given up you know to bad rushing teams good rushing performances and i just i haven't seen a complete game outside of ohio state and Ohio State threw for like 400 yards, which they should because they have three NFL receivers. But I, I just don't have a lot of confidence that this team can blow a team out yet. And so I'm going to say 34-20, it's going to be a push, um, which if you bet doesn't really hurt you. But nonetheless, uh, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I don't either. I mean, I think you asked earlier, how do you measure dominance? I think at this point, you just remove the offense from the equation because they aren't going to dominate anybody, probably, um, at least in their current construction. So to me, it comes down to what the defense does. And I think this is a game where you end up coming away feeling pretty good about the defense. As I said, I have 17 points total for Cal. Um, mm -hmm. I think we see more of what we saw in that, that second half against Stanford, 
from a defensive perspective where they're where they're able to just consistently get off the field. I was impressed with that. I mean, they they did. I mean, they've been pretty bad. You're right, Matt, against on third downs and fourth down situations in that second half against Stanford. I think they were what like one and six or something going into that final drive. Stanford was it wasn't great. Um, I might have inflated that a little bit, like one and five maybe. Um, I think they do a better job. I think they're more of that defense than the one that they were in previous weeks or even in the second half or even the first half of that Stanford game. Um, and maybe I'm being too optimistic there, but I don't think you dominate games because of this offense point blank. And I don't think this offense is good enough to score a lot of points on its own. So I have Oregon winning 28, 17. I think it's a game that um, is pretty competitive throughout. Like Matt, I don't have them covering the methodology here was that 11 points is actually the average margin of, of victory for either Oregon or Cal over the last five seasons. This is about what the games have been played at. So give me an 11-point Oregon win, a win that feels good because you get back in the win column, but probably one where you're still going like, boy, this offense has some issues. This defense played better, but at times maybe kind of missed the mark. So I think it's going to be an uneven performance, but a win. Real, real quick, let me change my score so it's not a push. Okay. So it's 35-24. I don't think they covered. Okay, I like it. Okay, we can do that. I uh, I have Oregon covering. I have Oregon winning thirty eight twenty one, and I know my offensive offensive predictions were were pretty high. Yeah, but to me, thirty eight points is kind of how you know Oregon scored above forty against Arizona, where they have short fields to deal with, off of turnovers, uh, and that's just kind of how I anticipate this game going for Oregon offensively and how they are able to score that many points. Um, I think the defense is, is going to show out again. I, I really do think that what they're going to carry over from Stanford in the second half will last into this game. Um, obviously, they won't have KT to the second half, but they were able to get a good pass rush last week against Stanford in the second half. Um, to me, somewhat surprisingly, uh, they were they were in on Tanner McKee almost every down. They get Braden Swinson back. Uh, Mace Moon is feeling healthier. Uh, Popo and Brandon Dorless have been great this year. Um, again, like I said earlier, like they'll be at their healthiest as I, that they can be. Um, the secondary is is going to be put to the test at points. Um, I, I do like Oregon's man coverage options on the outside with DJ James and Michael Wright. Um, we'll see how much of the like that soft zone that they play if they just allow everything to go underneath. But I do think, regardless, that Oregon's defense will come to play. Offensively, it probably will just be one of those days where they get the job done. You're kind of left wondering how much more of, of a blowout could this be. But I think 17, a 17-point 17 win is as like big of a blowout as Oregon's offense is going to allow. And I really – and even still, like 17 points, it's probably going to be a score – Sands turnovers it would be closer to Eric's score, where it's just an 11-point win. But I think that a turnover or two happens uh, and gets returned or something like that into Cal's territory, and Oregon takes advantage of it, which they should. So again, I have Oregon winning 38 to 21. It's gonna do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Next time you will hear our words, uh, our voices is hear our words. That is a weird. It's an interesting way of saying it. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> they, they, they will hear our words. <laughs> uh, next time you hear us will be our post-game edition, uh, late Friday night, early, early Saturday morning, um, however you want to describe it, after the Cal game from Austin Stadium. So hopefully 
it's a positive one. Uh, <laughs> need to win. Uh, a loss would be pretty shocking. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.